I've aligned my entire lifestyle to uh, focus on self-care and community care and earth care um, so that everything I do really is uh, in support of my myself and my community. Hello, dear friends and damn givers. Welcome to Let's Give a Damn. I'm your host, Nick LaPara. And on this show, I have conversations with all kinds of amazing humans that have two things in common. They give a damn and they're striving to live meaningful lives. Thank you for hitting play. Thank you for showing up this week. I'm so glad you're here. My guest this week is the incredible Adrian Grenier. Adrian is an actor, director, social impact entrepreneur, and investor. You probably know Adrian from shows like Entourage or from films like The Devil Wears Prada. I don't watch a lot of TV, so I first found out about Adrian a few years ago when he co-founded Lonely Whale, a community of creatives, innovators, and big picture thinkers that love the ocean and want to preserve and take care of our oceans. Most recently, he co-founded DuContra Ventures, an organization that brings investors, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders together to create a yield beyond money. During our conversation, we talk about his recent move to Austin, Texas. He rebuked me in the best and kindest way possible for sometimes talking down to people who live in Texas and the South in general, which if you have listened to this podcast for any amount of time, you've definitely heard that. We also talked about why he left New York City, his home for all of his life, to be closer to nature and animals and space and how that's been so good for his physical, mental, and spiritual well-being. We talked about other great topics and ideas as well. One note for you as you are listening. During our chat, I forget even how it came up, but I brought up how more people should be trusting experts and getting vaccinated, and Adrian pushed back on the idea of just trusting experts and blindly trusting people who are in charge, which I somewhat agree with. We went back and forth a few times, as you'll hear in our conversation, but I only had one hour with Adrian and our hard stop time was coming up. So I had to move on from that topic much sooner than I wanted to. So if it seems like an abrupt change of topic, know that I wanted to keep going and who knows, maybe we will do a round two at some point to talk just about that or at least more about that because I had so much more to say. I know Adrian did as well, but we only had an hour. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you today. I hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Before we jump in, a quick reminder, as always, that you can anytime and for any reason, email me at hello at letsgiveadam.com. You can ask me questions. You can recommend future guests. You can tell me how much you love or hate this show, anything really. I just love hearing from you. And now, let's get right into my conversation with the amazing Adrian Grenier. Let's go. Adrian, welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast. Thank you. Thanks for so, having me. Yeah, yeah, of course. So glad to have you here. I've been looking forward to this. I've, you know, been following your, as as many people listening, following your, you know, career for quite some time, mm -hmm. watching stuff that you have, you know, acted in and so on. And so this is a, yeah, it's a, it's an honor to speak with you, not just about the work that you've done that you're most widely known for, but I'm more interested in the ways that you give a damn and how you have set aside, at least it seems, a good chunk of your life 
to, you know, leave a positive impact as you're going and hopefully, you know, far after you're gone. So I'm very interested in and very excited to hear about some of the stuff you're doing. Um, let's begin with this. Uh, before I begin in some of the meteor stuff, I always love to get some of the history, right? Because when I go back to my childhood and my sort of the, 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 the kind of development years, I can see why I am the way that I am today, right? Doing certain things, living out in certain ways. And so go back as far as you'd like to, but and tell as much or as little as, you, as you'd like to, but what are some of the people, places, and things in your growing up years and your education and whatnot that shaped you, informed you, and kind of led you down this path, doing the things that you're doing today? Um, yeah, I have recently discovered that, uh, well, not discovered, but realized that when I was young, I was about three or four, my mother moved me from New Mexico to live in New York City. And I think that experience created a schism within me, mm. uh, a separation from, from nature and from family um, that really affected me growing up without really understanding the ultimate, um, you know, the, the effects of it. And, uh, and so this most recent time in my life is about, coming back to nature and to family. Um, so I think that that also has driven my desire to um, work for the environment, work in environmentalism, uh, why I crave community, why I'm a very, very social person, why I wanna be around people a lot. So, creating community and connection and nature are fundamental to who I am. And I think has something to do with, well, all of our nature, I suppose, yeah. all of our human nature is to yeah. be connected. And, uh, but just thinking back to that one, um, I guess, core wound <laughs> from when I was a kid and, and been sort of clawing my way back to self ever since. So this is interesting. So my family and I just moved to New York City uh, about six months ago. I was born in upstate New York, grew up in Guatemala, traveled the world for most of my uh, adolescent and adult life. And we have been just waiting for years as I've been developing my career and different things to get to New York to raise our kids here, right? For, for them to be around uh, the different people and cultures and the diversity here and all of the wonderful things that this city brings. Um, and then to hear you say that, I think you just described it as a core wound of being away from you know nature and being connected to the earth. When you think back on your time uh, living in New York, were you in New York City from a kid until you moved to Austin? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was a diehard, you know, if you can't beat them, join them type thing, yeah. you know, or, or, or is it, uh, Stockholm syndrome. Yes. Where you start to identify with your captors. I mean, eventually I became the, the mob boss, the New York city. Fuck, you know, I conquered yeah. that world and became and excelled as, you know, a fucking cool street rat, you know, better than Jersey kind of, you know, ego <laughs> survival thing. 
Um, and yeah, and, and I realized, you know, how lost I was in many ways that my ego and my arrogance and my, my identity of being part of the, being coming from the coolest city in the world was keeping me from maybe having more depth and meaning in my life. Oh, that's fascinating. Another time we'll get deeper into that because that's so fat. Cause we, again, we've, I, I feel like my entire life, I'm 38 now. My entire life has been guiding me toward moving our, you know, my wife and our three kids here with the hopes of sort of, you know, ne never leaving. Maybe I've traveled to the greatest cities in the world and I don't love living in the U S I didn't really grow up here, came back in my mid twenties and haven't felt at home. And so New York feels like the most at home that I'm ever going to feel in this country. Right. But I, but I understand what you're saying. I, just, yes, just this past weekend, we were visiting my uh, brother and his wife in Philly and we went on this hike and it was so, it was so invigorating. It was so peaceful. It was so good. Like my body and spirit felt so good. I love the city. I do about four or five nights a week here in Manhattan. I light a cigar and I walk for two hours and it literally is the greatest feeling in the world. I love being in this city, but to go back to your point of like getting out of there to be become part of nature again, right. To get to know the nature side of us, the animal side of us. Um, yeah, I feel like as I go deeper here, I might end up, I'm going to have to really work hard to find those times that you can only feel when you're in nature, right? Like I feel a certain thing with all the buildings and the hustle and the bustle and the concrete and everybody making shit and like doing cool shit, but you can't, you can't manufacture that feeling that you get when you're in the, in nature, doing things in nature, caring for nature, that's uh, unmistakable and one of a kind, right? Yeah, and uh, of course, one has to follow their own impulse. Uh, sure. So, yeah, not to disparage New York City or that lifestyle too much, <laughs> but more just I realized that there was more that I, I needed to accomplish in my life mm. and that falling back on the comfort familiarity of having grown up to become that person was keeping me from expanding, you know? Um, and it, you know, I think a lot of times people want, they want to create a villain and they want to make it, you know, they want certainty. So they create black and white, like, Oh, New York was bad. And therefore I need to come back to nature. I don't think it's either or cities are great. Like, I mean, <laughs> I fucking, I, I'm so thankful that there are cities with good restaurants, you know, yeah, um, right. I go to the city, you know, several times, I mean, at least once a week to, to go eat good food, yeah. eat interesting food, eat for, you know, food that's from other regions, um, goods and services in, in cities are, are, are really valuable. Um, but I was just out of, out of balance. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. That makes total sense. Now, real, real briefly, I don't want to spend a lot of time here because we got a lot to cover in, in the next 45, 50 minutes. But when you were thinking about, okay, I'm going to leave the big city. I'm going to go out somewhere where I can just really reconnect. Uh, why Austin and Texas? Um, how, how did that come about? If, if it's something that you can share, I, I, 
I have a, <laughs> I always ask all my Texas friends, why the fuck do you live there? Like that is such a crazy place that just seems so behind the times and backward and a lot of the things that they push for and support and laws that they're passing and all sorts of crazy stuff. It's like, yes, I know you live in Austin and almost all of my friends that are, you know, hanging on for dear life in Texas or in, in and around Austin because it's a different, it's a different animal there. But um, yeah. So talk about the, the, the mindset behind, you know, moving to a place like Texas and really making that home despite some of the interesting things that might be taking place in your immediate vicinity, politically, yeah. societally, and all that. Um, well, if you haven't noticed, the world is in flux right now. Yeah. yeah. What's up is down, and backwards is forwards, and suddenly everybody, you know, you find the, the people that you're closest to don't make any sense anymore. And you find maybe you actually relate to people you never imagined you would. Mm. Um, COVID has been given has given us a, a great shakeup, a great opportunity to see outside of ourselves, amongst other you know global forces at play. I think we're in an interesting time, post truth, post fact, in which now you have nothing to rest on. So you must relearn and unlearn and learn again. Um, I spent my whole life on the coast in a culture that was predominantly liberal. And, um, you know, as, as much as my ego believed that New York is better than Jersey, you know, I also believed that the coasts were better than all the flyover states and that they were, you know, that I, and I would make grand judgments about the mentality of people yeah. in, in these, yeah. in these parts. Um, and then of course I started to, to come to Austin because Austin's fucking cool and yeah. music and ACL and, and there's, while it was still a blue berry in a tomato soup politically speaking yeah um there's still a down home hillbilly type perspective like vibe you know no judgments people don't you know there's no elitism there's not no but you know pe people aren't judging you for what you do or who you or, or you know who you know uh there's just something that's down home and um, no frills and humble about this culture. Um, and so I'd been flirting with moving to Austin or at least making Austin one of my many homes and I was jet setting around the world. I didn't consider myself bi-coastal, I was omni-coastal. I was anywhere and everywhere and I never stayed put. And so I finally, I, I did have Austin as one of my hubs and then as I started going through my changes and I started to, even politically speaking, because of Trump, I started to really explore what the hell is going on in the world? How could anybody have voted for such a terrible man? Mm -hmm. And so I made a concerted effort to extend myself outside of myself, get outside of my own bubble, uh, stop consuming the same media that I had been and started to 
reach out to to people that thought different think think differently than I do. Um, and so a combination of that politically, also exploring Austin, you know, uh, you know, geographically. Sure. Um, and then myself spiritually in terms of, you know, getting outside of the city and becoming more um, one with uh, sort of, I, I guess, com the complexity of yeah. nature and myself, I started to realize that I didn't have it all figured out. And all my judgments were keeping me from knowing a perspective that would actually serve me. And we get into these, this infighting and this us versus them versus trying to find a synthesis because we all have a bit of signal in the noise and yeah. we need to come together. So ultimately I started to really start to appreciate uh, the, those th those those people <laughs> yeah. here in Texas and I would encourage you to come you know meet my neighbors meet my farmer neighbors who are absolutely beautiful people who have so much to offer and they just don't see the world in the same ways as we we might coming from the city um but just as valid and um and I'm so help thankful that I have that dimension of perspective at this point so how can I live here? Quite easily. Quite easily. No, that's super helpful. And, and, I, and I, at the same time that I sort of brought that, you know, that big charge against Texas, I agree with everything you've said everywhere that we've lived. We just, we moved, our last home was four years in Nashville. That was a very, very difficult state to live in. Uh, I mean, last summer, this Tennessee State Patrol arrested 240 of my friends at BLM protests. Uh, so many things happened in and around Nashville that were very hurtful and hard to experience. And yet in the midst of all of that, I met some of the coolest fucking people that I've ever met. People that are literally changing the, the, the makeup of their neighborhoods and their communities doing awesome stuff. So I, I, and I, I have so many great friends in Texas. It just, I asked that seriously, but also I understand why you're there because I have so many friends that live in so many different environments it takes people coming to cities like New York and it takes people leaving cities like New York to go live in Austin and in Nashville and otherwise. I know through the pandemic, a lot of you know people that have lived in, the, in New York most of their lives now live in Nashville. One of them just moved to Franklin, Tennessee, you know, uh, the one of the whitest, you know, wealthiest communities in the in the South. And and that to me is like kind of mind boggling. But I'm like, no, I'm glad that you are bringing your city ethos of inclusiveness and, you know, kind of uh you have this big worldview and you're taking it to these communities that uh haven't experienced that so i'm uh your neighbors are lucky that you're around to you know invest in them and they're lucky and you're lucky to have them as well so i totally i hear that i love that um so your work is pretty incredible we don't need to talk about your uh your career and the stuff you've been and most people know you from entourage and different in, in different shows and films it's been you know you've had an incredible career i'm interested in things like your the investment community that you're creating and Lonely Whale and things like that. So let's get into that for the next section of our conversation. Where along the way on this journey, before we talk specifically about those two things that I just pointed out, and we can obviously also talk about anything else that you want in your uh, philanthropic give a damn sort of life that you live. But where did that start? 
I see so many people that have influence and that have fame and that have done well for themselves. Uh, you, you know, you have a subset of them, of people that use that platform to do as much good as they can. Right. And then you have other people that choose not to do that. And, and everybody else in the mix, where along the way did you decide I'm going to use who I am, what I am, what I've made to do as much good as possible while I'm here or, and, or was that always a part of who you were? So it was a given when you started to build your career this way, that you were going to use a good chunk of your life and your resources to do this work. Um, I tend to get very philosophical about all these things. If you don't mind, I'm good. I'm good. Uh Um, I I don't know if there's anybody, you know, um, save a few that don't want to do good in the world that don't have the impulse to um, add value and, and be of service. I think that's part of our nature is to do that stuff. Um, and so I just happen to have a belief in myself that I can actually, part- that, I, that I can contribute, that I have something you know, positive to contribute. And I am very, I, you know, I get very uh, fulfilled in the creative process of trying to solve problems. Um, I don't think I'm better than anybody else. It's just, I have specific um, opportunities and privilege to do certain, you know, certain things. And I've, you know, gladly taken advantage of that, I suppose. Um, at the same time, I do recognize that there, you know, that I think there's this uh, perspective, this perception of doing good that is this thing that is other than. It's like this, uh, it's almost like a a list of to-dos. It's a prescriptive thing. You got to do this and you got to do that. Uh, I don't know if I see it that way. I, I, I think there's a lot of challenges with how, uh, modern philanthropy, environmentalism, uh, virtue signaling type actions are being taken because people are doing it to be seen or to have the perception that they are being a good person. Um, and, and then I think that distracts from like our true nature. Our true nature is to to work in community, to, to be of service, to give back. And it starts to become this bastardized, almost commercialized thing that you do or you get. And for me, it's, it's just natural. It's just like my life. Like I want to live and I want to do the best I can. And I'm always questioning whether I'm doing the right thing anyway. And then I have to modify. Um, I stopped going to, you know, charities uh, just because, I realized that that was, that was more about being seen and more about, um, you know, the perception and the publicity of it than it was actually, um, you know, maximizing my ability to, to, to do something worthwhile. So um, I don't know if I've answered the question, but. 
No, you did. I, I, I too agree that most people, I, I agree that people are fundamentally good. And if, you know, parents, caretakers, you know, early on in life, don't foster that goodness, don't care for that and kind of help it as we grow up. Yeah. Things can go awry, right? That's where we get people that are, you know, that, that aren't living a life of giving a damn, but I, I totally agree because I know I have three kids of my own. I am one of my parents had 12 kids. I'm one of 12. We grew up a lot of, around a lot, like kids are good and they want to do good and they're sponges and they're, they, they look, they're, they're, they're ready to help people. Their, their innocence uh, toward other people pushes them to love people and help them and not judge them. So I, I completely agree. And um, I also agree about, I guess, I guess one follow-up question is, so where did that, so you say it's just natural. Did that come from, did that come from uh, mentors? Did that come from, you've mentioned spirituality, but that means a lot of different things. Like, is there a certain faith that you adhere to? Where, where did that come from? Because again, I believe people are good. And I believe a lot of people don't ever truly develop into becoming a damn giver for a lot of reasons. They were abused or they didn't take advantage of different opportunities. There's a lot going on there. But then there are some that kind of are set apart. And now it's not showy and flashy for you. It's you just wanting to do do the fucking work and not worry about the accolades and the awards and going and being seen and getting a write up because you gave away this or you donated that. So where does that come from? And I promise we'll move on to other things. But I'm just interested, like, I'm always looking for, for uh, yeah, where did that start? If you are able to pick that out and remember where sort of that was developed from. Yeah, I, I mean, I, my mother loved me, <laughs> told me I mattered and taught me to be kind to others. I mean, it's pretty basic stuff, I think. Um, and, I'm 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 constantly wrestling with what that actually means. Like what how can I be most effective? There was a time when I you know, it, it, it the solution didn't even matter. It was just doing something, you yeah. know, being active. Uh and now sometimes not doing something is actually <clears throat> more beneficial than mucking the getting in there without without the competency, without the, the, the range of comprehension to actually solve a problem. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people who want to, you know, be, they want to be the quarterback. They want to be, they want to get the, the, I'm, I'm not a sports person. I don't know why I tried to use a sports <laughs> analogy, <laughs> but they want to get the touchdown, right? Sure. They want to be the one to catch the ball. And everybody's clamoring to catch a ball. It's like sometimes you, you got to, you know, play a different position and get out of the way and look, take a good look, hard, good, hard look at yourself and find first find the, the ways in which you're being, you're contributing to the issues. Being, or how are you part of the problem versus the, and, and I think a lot of it has to do with capitalism, uh, putting a premium and a, a greater emphasis on, um, you know, big growth. You know, the companies yep. that we all know are the ones that are multi-billion dollar companies, right? And that's yep. success. 
And so we all have this idea that if we don't swing for the bleachers, another <laughs> another sports analogy, if we don't hit that home run yep. and we're not the ones seen for having like solved the problem, then it doesn't matter. And I think that creates a lot of problems because people are contributing and becoming very destructive in their activism. It's yeah. reactivism. They're reacting as opposed to taking a moment, meditating, talk about spirituality. You know, I, I have, I ascribe to all the spiritualities, all the religions, anything that will potentially give me uh, a glimpse into something bigger than myself, uh, higher power, collective wisdom, whatever you want to call it. And sometimes you got to shut off the mind, shut off the ego yeah. in order to receive the wisdom. And sometimes just don't do anything. Yeah. Um, and that's how I, I approach things now is, you know, in, in permaculture, especially now that I, I live in nature and I you know have a farm and there's so many plants that need my attention. Yeah. Um, in permaculture, the first principle is observe and interact before you go and impose your will upon a system your ego see what's what's happening first see all of the systems at play that have already been established yeah. the complexity and the dynamic resilience of that system has been there way before you so understand it first before you go and you start to try and fix it or correct it or make it what you want it to be and yeah. i think people don't you know take the time to witness and understand before they go and they start breaking things yeah that's that's gold. so you know they say if it ain't fixed don't break it um no, they say if it's if it ain't, if it broke, ain't broke, don't, fix, don't it. fix it. Yeah, I I say if it ain't fixed, don't break it. That's what I say. Yeah, I mean that's gold. Like it, it, you know, you started out. You, you said when I was younger, I was just you know I just started doing stuff, right? You just start you just start fucking doing stuff, and then you eventually like grow and mature, and you realize, oh, I need to slow down, right? Well, it, I I see that very vividly with my kids right now. I'm obviously trying to can't force my kids to do anything. Kids will do what they want to do and be who they want to be. But I want to try to like, I, I see my role as a father as like just pointing them in the right direction, right? Pointing them to things and saying, what do you think about that? Let's interact with that idea. So right now it is a lot of just like helping them just do stuff, right? We also in our home care a lot about the environments, but they don't understand. They don't, they understand conceptually what our climate crisis is like what's happening, but they don't understand the deeper things that are at work. So right now, I'm just helping them do stuff, get in the, get in the habit of thinking outside of yourself, little ones. So we compost and we are vegan and we, you know, try to use as, as few, we recycle, uh, you know, clothes and in, in different things. We're not buying stuff all the time as little plastic as possible. They don't understand why no plastic. They don't know why we use as little plastic as possible. They understand uh, more about like veganism because of animal cruelty and the environment. That one's easier to explain, but Right now, it's a lot of telling them, just do. Like, trust me, this is good for the earth. But eventually, now I have a nine-year-old now. She's not She's not just following our lead now. Even at nine, she's asking all the fucking questions. And we're having to, like, 
slow down, right? Start to slow down and explain these bigger ideas and concepts to her. And I imagine that's going to continue with the other two. And that way they will be, uh, did you see, this was viral on Twitter, like a few weeks ago, uh, all over social media. Do you see the show, the activism or activist, the, oh, the, sorry, the activist, right? Uh, it was a show. It, basically they did like the voice or the, the voice version for activism and Priyanka Chopra, Jonas Usher and uh, Julianne Ho were going to be the hosts of it, right? Game show, not game show, but like, you're going to have to compete to be the top activist. And I think we give you a million dollars And the three criteria, going back to what you said a few minutes ago, the three criteria were um, uh, social metrics. So how many Facebook followers, like how have you grown socially? Uh, who's talking about you online? Like what's the chatter? What's the press? All that. And then the host's input. Those are the like, those are the input that they said. This is how we're gonna choose our number one activist. And I got so like, so upset. And so did the world. They actually within like four days they they recalled the idea and we're, they're gonna do a whole different thing now because they were like we fucked up. They realized that they fucked up. What was so stupid is that week I interviewed um, Race Bouyan. One of the most amazing people I've ever met. 10 days after 9-11, he was working at a gas station in Dallas, Texas, and a white supremacist Aryan Brotherhood dude uh, had, had said, I'm going to kill as many Muslims as possible. This is 10 days after 9-11. Walked into the gas station, mm -hmm. shot him in the face with a shotgun. He survived. Mm -hmm. and so I'm talking to this guy, right? He's a hero. He went on to start this amazing organization called World Without Hate. Yep. Race Bouyan has 1,500 social media followers. Race Bouyan would never, ever make it in the back door of the stage where they're holding the activist. And so we have we have hurried this fucking thing up so quickly. And like you said, if it ain't if it ain't fixed, don't bro break it like we are breaking so much shit because we're just telling people just go do something. Just do busy work, make it look like you're doing something, donate here and, and, and give there and show up here versus slowing the hell down. And, and like you said, that was great with the perma culture, like listening and observing the ecosystem that you want to help and contribute to way before ever actually doing something about it. So I think that was, I, I was thinking about those two things, my kids and the activist show as you were sharing that, because we are moving way too fucking fast and people don't know what they're doing. In a few weeks, I'm going to talk with Tom Nichols, uh, the author. He wrote this book called The Death of Expertise. And I want to have mine just to talk about that because truly on, on both sides of the coin, one is, I mean, if, if anything COVID has taught us is that like people are, you know, they have their degree in, from Facebook and Google, right? On vaccines and, and therapeutics and all these things. And we, we're, we're in such a big fucking mess with this uh, uh, pandemic because of all of these people that just don't actually trust expertise um, and we've got to get out of this. We've got to slow down and respect the expertise and do things a lot slower, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if I entirely agree. I think that we're in a very important period of questioning things. Uh, you know, we have been lure, uh, lured out of our, our hypnosis of like hierarchy of authority that we just believe we trust the government we cede our sure. power to the, the the news media and it's not perfect there's no it, you're not gonna like 
suddenly wake up from the, the delusion and then like have an answer, people are now starting to look and seek and find their own understanding of the world. Um, I don't believe that it's, I don't believe that we should just go back to a place where everybody just trusts the authority that, Agreed. that is, that is a problematic proposition because there's no such thing, right? You know, that scientific method is about questioning and about exploring and about testing and trying and not resting on surety or certainty. Uh, and, and we have to come to a consensus reality, you know? So as many people as possible should be questioning and trying things and exploring, um, that's just my opinion. I mean, with this pandemic, I think, I think the reason we're in this situation that is as the reason why things are so um, problematic, I think, is because a centralized system wants to create a uh, one-size-fits-all solution for the entire populace. And that would make sense because that's what centralized governments do. Um, but in our modern times, I think there's a call to action for us all to be hyper-local, very self-reliant, and have eyes on what you need and what your neighbors need and your community needs specific to your region and your locality. And that is, that is also the uh, wisdom of permaculture. It's not about let's just monocrop everything and then pour a bunch of DEET or some sure. chemical fertilizer. Let's create resilience in the system with this dynamic complexity where not one size fits all. Um, and so what I see in like the news media now is there's a lot of shame and blame for those that aren't towing the line. And then the fear narrative that because they're not is a reason why you're not you know, living your best life right now. When in fact, it's lockdowns, it's uh, mandates, it's all of these um, political uh, moves that are actually becoming, they're actually undermining our ability to move and operate and, and make best decisions for ourselves. That's my that's my opinion. No, and I, I I think so. My quick feedback before we move on is that if if everybody was as thoughtful and as ready to truly learn as you are, and and then then that might work. But with the prevalence of myths and purposeful disinformation, and the just the amount of just like pure lies that are out there. Um, how, how do we navigate? Cause again, I would love for that. I I'm not telling people just to just like sheepishly, uh, you know, just follow whatever, you know, Lord Biden says or whoever, whoever, whoever is, you know, uh, Fauci or whatever. But I also think, you know, how, how do we do it when, when people aren't seeking the right sources, my, my, somebody very close to me, her reason for not getting vaccinated in a state that had the highest you know, per capita uh, uh, deaths to COVID in the whole country and second in the world was she sent us a 20 minute video from a chiropractor, Dr. So-and-so, a chiropractor that was advocating for all these different, these other methods. Um, 
including ivermectin and, you know, just different other alternative things. And that was her reason for not getting the vaccine. Like that doesn't seem, I don't know if I trust that situation uh, to play out like you're, like uh, you're calling for. Does that make sense? Like, I, I think what you're calling for makes total sense she, if people are truly seeking the truth, not they're looking for something that's going to confirm their own bias. There, there's an irony to that statement, though, um, yeah. because you're saying you know what the truth is and everyone needs to follow this truth. And yet at the same time, we're in a, a post-truth era with lots of misinformation and, uh, you know, everybody's sort of not everybody, but, you know, there's a lot of uh, misinformation that is actively promoted and put out there. And then a lot of incentives, commercial incentives by mainstream media that doesn't really care about the truth anyway. They only care to like hype you up and get you excited so that you click more. So in a landscape, in a media landscape that is as corrupted and as muddy as it is, we all have to have our own ability to make discernment and, and to make sense of the world. And not anybody's going to tell you how to do that. We all have to learn how to do that. Mm. So if someone comes to their conclusion, that, that is on them. That is their prerogative and that is their right. And that nobody, I don't, I don't believe we're in a time when someone should come and be like, you, you don't have the ability to, you are too dumb to know what the truth is. So therefore you can't seek the truth. Yeah. It is our right to make mistakes and to get it wrong. And in fact, we want that. I mean, that's, that's what nature does. It gets it wrong so much until it gets it right. Um, and if you start to clamp down on novelty or curiosity or uh, the learning, learning mind, and you start saying, this is the answer, and there is no other, um, you know, it's just the absolute, then you're actually, you know, um, stomping on, I think, ultimate wisdom, which requires us to all come together and share our perspectives. Yeah. A lot more to say there, but I, that's super helpful. I'll be chewing on that for a while. Um, I do, I do want to get to uh, some of the things that I initially was attracted to. Um, I know we've spent some time on some other things that I hadn't even planned, but that usually happens on this podcast. We usually go into a few bunny trails here and rabbit trails here and there. Um, so I'm really interested in, uh, I, I, I saw this, uh, this venture community this investment community that you have launched um, that really helps where, where it seems like you're wanting people to take a serious look at their relationship to money stuff and things, um, which I'm hundred percent in on. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about what you all are doing and I'm excited to learn more here. Obviously I've looked at the website and watched a few videos and things online, but tell us about how this community came about, what you all are doing what you you know aim to do and and how really what sets you apart from the others that are investing and you know trying to create these new companies and and, and ecosystems mm -hmm. and such yeah so i've been an environmental activist uh un environment ambassador uh, i've started nonprofits i've also 
started businesses. Um, so I have a lot of experience with, you know, from all different perspectives. And um, I realized that what I wanted to do was start to get to the root of the solution. <laughs> the root of the solution, which is how do we take money and infuse it in as many solutions as possible and create uh, a, a market for um, change using capital. And at first it's like, okay, well, let's just invest in ESG or, mm. uh, you know, different companies that are more sustainable or whatnot. Not, that's part of it, yes. But really fundamentally what we're looking to do is change our relationship to money itself, recognizing that money is the ultimate tool that we have, at least in this, at least now in this time, is the tool that we use to actually um, create things in the world, to build yep. the world. Yep. Right. It's, it's, it's uh, energy that uh, inspires action. Um, and so instead of bastardizing ourselves to a nonprofit perspective or a diminished profit perspective, let's like head right into making money and letting money be generated towards the, the positive businesses in the world. And that re really required us to take a good look at our relationship to money so that we don't get corrupted by um, the the tendency of money to take uh, precedent over all of the, um, the, the the positive things we're trying to create. So we're looking at yields beyond money, the things that are more um, gonna, they're, they're gonna build the world that we believe is possible without getting distracted by just, uh, you know, how, how much we can scale or how much money we can make. But we take a, a wider perspective on all the different metrics of success, including we call it YBM yields beyond money. Mm. Is that an original thing that you guys created yield beyond money? I haven't heard of that before. Yeah. Yeah. We, we coined that. I love that. Um, the, the name, I actually don't know how you say it. I assume it's do contra. I, I say do, do contra, contra. Mm -hmm. do contra. Yeah. I'm, I'm a Latino. So I always go for the contra. Um, yeah, yeah. And you know that that signifies the commitment that you all have to run counter to traditional investing. What are some of the challenges that you are, if any, are you facing any challenges uh, as a uh, you know a an investment fund, an investment team? You're 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 in a world that is very profit hungry. That's all they do is that they're only going to invest in things they think they can just like you know hundred x thousand x whatever. What are some of the issues you've, you know, conversations you've had, pushback that you've had as you create and build this community, if any? Or are people really excited and saying, we, you're actually leading the, the you know, you're leading the, us to what we need to be doing more of? Yeah, I, I think we tend to try and stay agnostic about what the right thing is to do. And that's why we created our four verticals, which are really looking to infuse innovation with within different four different sectors that we think uh, make a, a positive society. So investing in um, 
human development, sort of the up-leveling of the individual. So health, wellness, mental health, uh, all, all of those categories to help allow people to be the best they can be so they can make the best decisions and, and, and be the most effective in the world. Communitas, which is how do we create communities so that people can, can come together and connect and work together. One thing that makes us different than all other animals is we can collaborate, that we do collaborate, we can collaborate well. So communitas is, is, is an investment vertical that we think is important. Um, also money, future of finance. How do we heal our relationship to money, get into right relationship with money. So tools of equity, tools of access. Um, how do we get money into the hands of as many people as possible? So when they are up-leveled and they are working with others, they can come together and they have the capital to actually build the world. And then finally, you know, uh, consumer goods, do, do consumer, like the things, what we consume and how. So for us, instead of dictating this is what it needs to be, we're investing in categories mm. a, you know, and diversity within those categories and letting people, entrepreneurs, uh, create those, um, those businesses. As you have conversations in this in this world that you're living in right now, what is what are some of the? I would suspect that most people have a need to use the word heal in their relationship to money. Like they have a bad relationship with money, they have a flawed relationship with money. Um, for those that are listening, I, you know, everybody that's listening to to our conversation wants to make a difference. Not every one of them are going to start a company that could get funded by you know what you all are doing, right? But everybody needs to have a proper perspective on money, right? So, for, for example, I grew up in a very poor family. Uh, we always had just enough, but never more. My parents decided to have 12 kids and we're all alive and well. But that, that, that really uh, thinned out. There were no margins. It was all the money was spent every month. We, we went on vacation for you know three or four days every couple of years. Um, it, was just, it was just barely enough. But I always wanted to be super generous. And so as I grew up, I would, you know, give a lot of money away. And now I'm getting smarter about how that's done. But before it was more, it was just to anything and everyone, right? And pretty much I've never cared for, my, I've never, per, you know, bought things for myself, cared for myself financially. Um, I am just now in my, you know, mid and late 30s, figuring out how to invest long term in a variety of ways, because it's always been, you know, even when I was making, I'm making more money now than I've ever made in my life. And we're doing okay. We're doing, you know, my family's taken care of. We live in this, you know, expensive city and there's money left over and we're doing fine, but it's, it's, it's still not, I still believe that I have a flawed and healing relationship with, uh, you know, money. So what are you, you know, what are you learning about how people need to heal um, yeah, just give us a word on that for those that are listening that probably most everyone has to heal in their relationship with money. Yeah. Um, you know, money is a very useful tool. <laughs> you know, it, it, it helps to, um, abstract value across disparate, different things, you know, so that you can, you can also store that value for later use. Um, it's a lot of very valuable 
it, you know, it's a very Im important tool to how we've been able to create society. Um, we as society at large and as individuals have certain inherent conditioned uh, relationships to money and scarcity and uh, the desire to accumulate. Uh, so I would say we should all take a look at our own personal relationship to money. We as a society should wrestle with our relationship to money uh, and, and, and how it's actually starting to have real effects on communities, the world, nature, uh, at least the profit motive it, it is. And also the information layer, you know, uh, you know, the information ecology also is polluted because of certain financial incentives, but not to be naive about it and to say, we should just do away with money. And I don't know, that seems um, premature and un unrealistic right. with, without a, a, a system to replace money, which is why I really enjoy, I think I'm excited about crypto and alternative currencies because they are experimenting and exploring new ways of storing value and exchanging value. Uh, and I think it's, yeah, I, I wouldn't just right away do away with our current economic system and then go straight to crypto. It's a lot of kinks that need to get sure. worked out, but we should be experimenting with a fury. Like we should be trying new things. You know, if you want to bring back wampum and go do that, like try it. Do you know, or or maybe you want to start bartering with your neighbors, you know, uh, more without having to to even dip into, you know, your wallet. Um, so take a personal look at your relationship. Are you, are you, you know, everybody says, oh, that you know, not everybody. A lot of times people say, oh, easy for you to say, I'm like working, you know, hand to mouth. I can't look at my relationship to money, you know, but. I would argue that the idea, like the, the, the idea that we somehow need to continuously work in order to take care of ourselves is not just a fact of reality, it's also a mentality. Mm. Um, and you can ask yourself this very simple question. Have you lived a time in your life with more money? And have you lived a time in your life with less money? And how has your happiness changed based on how much money you have? And is it, is it directly tied to what you've accumulated and purchased? Or is it about your quality of life and your sense of fulfillment with your, your community and your family? Um, and so sometimes we, all, we want the relief of money at the expense of the things that are really deeply meaningful. And I, I've spent a lot of time in my life when I didn't have as much money. And I will always expand my consumption to meet how much money I have. Yep. <laughs> and it doesn't make me happier. Yep. But that's just me. Um, no, I think that's I think that's very wise. Uh, I, I don't I don't know where they got. I haven't you know, I haven't uh, uh, delved into this number. But, the, you know, they said $80,000 or something like that. Like, you know, you. You don't get any happier after that because eighty thousand dollars in most places, you know, you'll you'll be able to save a little bit of money. You can go on vacation. You can buy things for your family. You can you can provide unless for yourself. Unless you're in New York, unless, unless you're in New York, and then you're the poorest person here. 
but, but, you know, truthfully there is, yeah. I, if, when I look back on my, uh, 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 even growing a family over the past nine, 10 years with, with kids, when I was making nothing working in the nonprofit world, um, I was every bit as happy as I am now, every bit as happy now that I'm making, you know, 10, 12 times that much money. Mm -hmm. Um, it's the same, it's the same. And you're very right that I, we made it back then on, you know, 20, $25,000 a year. And now we're able to save more, obviously, but even, even though we live a minimalistic lifestyle and we give money away and we, you know, and we help, you know, I'm, I'm running this bootstrapping this company and other projects that I'm doing, there's still not that much left over. Like you just kind of fill the, you fill the void as you start making more money. And so it's, it's, it's incumbent upon us to, um, yeah, part of that healing, right. Is putting all that money to work. I love, uh, I love the, the budgeting system. Why You need a budget because it's, it's all about, it puts every dollar you make to work so that you're not out there just like, you know, fluttering around wondering where the money's going to go and all that, even if most of that money's going to go into savings or whatever, like it puts all your money to work. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's really helpful. That's really helpful. Yeah. And, you know, uh, it's, it's not for me to tell you whether you have a healthy or unhealthy relationship to money. I would just suspect that because we've all been conditioned that we need to make a lot of money and we need to make more money in order to be happy. Uh, and, and also from my experience working towards spiritual means. And if you look across time, it's it's about letting go of of the material wealth and the accumulation in order to find a centered spiritual perspective. Um, there's a book that I highly recommend called Sacred Economics mm. by Charles Eisenstein, which I think would be really, if any of your listeners are interested, having a, having a, having a having a read and and rethinking what it means to be wealthy, what it means to survive, what it means to thrive. And I believe we can start to solve some of the very, um, you know, very, very big challenges in our yeah. culture. If we start to rethink whether or not money is the goal, is the objective, or if it's the tool, it, you know, um, we have a quote, um, you know, Money's a tool, and the, the spirit of the tool is determined by the hand of the user. Mm. So a hammer could be a hammer, or it could be a destructive, you know, you could build something with it, or you can destroy something. So money's no different. Are we building something? What are we building? Is it, does it reflect our highest virtue and values? Or are we just clamoring to get more of it at our own peril? I love that. That's a big idea right there. The hammer we can destroy or build. What are we doing with our money? That's super helpful. Six years ago, you and Lucy Sumner co-founded Lonely Whale. I just want to get a plug in for Lonely Whale. Could you, in in a, in a couple minutes, describe uh, what Lonely why it came about, what Lonely Whale has accomplished in the last six years, um, and how it has brought you know, so much awareness to important issues and problems and looking towards solutions. Yeah. So, um, originally, initially <laughs> Lucy approached me about 
helping her produce a documentary about the loneliest whale in the world. Uh, when I heard the story of this whale uh, who was seeking connection, but speaks a different language than other whales and was calling out without ever receiving a response, my heart opened up and I said, yes, of course, I would love to help you produce this film. I said, however, inevitably, this will be an environmental story because of the amount of ocean noise pollution out in, in, in the open sea that are interfering with communication patterns and migration patterns of whales and other marine wildlife. I said, because of my experience making other social documentaries, environmental documentaries, I wanna make sure that we have a, uh, a, an organization that will receive the passion and the and the desire to change that we inspire for through the film so needed to create that organization and basically build a call to action um, well in advance of the film actually being filmed and, and done finished so um, in parallel we created lonely whale which was a nonprofit organization whose mission was to uh, bond people with each other and connect them with the ocean. And the idea is if you can't connect, you can't care. And our hero mascot, the lonely whale, his whole message is of connection and communication. So we are in many ways a communications platform that inspire people to connect more with the ocean and bond together so that they that we can create um, an ocean that is more in line with our values. Um, and, and so we've accomplished quite a lot. We've, uh, we started a, a, a plastic straw movement to eliminate single-use plastic straws as a stepping stone to larger, the larger plastic pollution problem in the ocean. We started um, Next Wave Plastics, which is a... Uh, basically a global supply chain for ocean bound plastic, plastic that is destined for the ocean that would otherwise just get thrown uh, in waterways and um, you know, near, near the ocean uh, so that we can actually put it back in the economy, start to make it useful again um, and actually create jobs um, in developing nations. Uh, we started o Ocean Heroes Bootcamp, which are 300 plus young people from 30 different countries around the world to get together in a boot camp style conference on ocean conservation. Um, and, you know, we've done a number of other things as well. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, I'm so excited about all the things that you're doing. I know we, you know, there's, we could go into other things. Uh, thank you for sharing about Du Contra and about Lonely Whale. I want to wrap up with a couple questions about you because you've referenced, you, you know, you talked about moving away from the big city to Austin to reconnect with nature. You've made several references and a lot of the examples you've used when you weren't using a sports reference, uh, you were talking about you know plants and nature. And I recently heard you in a video, you said that self-care is earth care. And that, that, that self-care is the antidote to burning out and it helps us, re it helps us realize and truly embody that we can't do it all. Like we can't fucking do it all. And 
uh, I know I feel like I, not like I can actually do it, but I want to do it all because there's so much shit to like tackle. And there's so many things to, you know, learn about and, 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 and try to solve, but it's, it's completely impossible. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's a foolish thing to do because if I'm not alive and well and healthy, then I'm not worth anything. And the way that we approach that, let's give a damn is it's kind of a three stage thing. We do a lot of conversations around self-care and being healthy because, you know, the way that I say it is you have to first give a damn by yourself. And that is just what we just described. Then you can go to step number two, which is give a damn about each other. These are the people that you care about them. They care about you. It's your partner, kids, uh, neighbors, coworkers, because they're going to pour into you. You're going to pour into them. It's a mutual sort of thing there very uplifting. And only then can we move on to number three, which is give a damn about others, the broader world, bigger issues, people, places, and things that probably won't thank us for what we're doing. They're not going to invest back into us. We're just pouring into those things. And it has to happen in that order for us to uh, 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 make the world a better place in a healthy way. So in, in, in the spirit of self-care, how are you what are some specific things that you are doing to take care of yourself, to make sure that you are caring for yourself and your loved ones, those around you, so that you can be doing this work, both, you know, professionally as, a, as an, you know, as an actor, uh, but also as an activist, as a, uh, an investor, as a leader, how are you making sure that you're around 50, 60, 70 years ago, maybe a hundred if Elon Musk can, you know, make that magic pill for us, but like, how, how, how are you taking care of yourself during these days? Yeah. Um, I've, I've aligned my entire lifestyle to uh, focus on self-care and community care and earth care um, so that everything I do really is uh, in support of my, myself and my community. Um, there was a time when I, would would just spin my wheels and run around and you know it was all it was just like burning the candle and you know working on fumes and now because i've i've decided to move to nature every day when i get out and i do work on the land and i'm cultivating the crops or you know digging a hole it's help it's it's supportive of my spirit and my well-being um before i used to have to go and meditate you know or go and exercise now there's a natural meditation built yeah. in to my lifestyle to the work i do there's natural physical you know toning that's going on when i'm out there so um i i I design my life in order to be self-supportive. Um, that being said, I still do have a meditation room uh, and I have a sacred space that I've created that is, that is specifically for self-care, mental, mental health, for communication, for like sitting down with my partner and, you know, wrestling through challenging um, things that we're going through. And, and, and so if you're looking for advice, find a sacred space, make a sacred space, uh, so that you can 
keep it separate from the rest of your, your, your life, especially if you're in the fray, especially if you don't have the opportunity to be in nature as I do. Like important to find that safe space, that sacred space for you to go and make a point to keep it, um, you know, keep coming, keep revisiting so that you can take time for yourself. And, it, it, and you don't have to do anything necessarily. Just go sit in that space. Um, even if it's just, you know, and I grew up in New York. I know what it's like. You guys, you have one apartment. It's like hard to yep. find an, an extra space. But even if it's a ritual, just light a candle. And this marks the moment in which now we are in self-care mode. Uh, you know, the, you learn from traditions. You know, there's a... I used to be godless and religionless. And I was like, I don't understand all these stupid traditions. Like, why do you, you know, the menorah, you got to light eight candles. Who the fuck cares, right? Right, um, yeah. And now I'm like, these traditions, these traditions have stood the test of time because they bring yep. a very real value to these communities. And it's not just Judaism or Christian traditions or any traditions. It's tradition and and the discipline of doing something to mark the sort of to create the sacred space that is that state of mind even it says not necessarily physical space it's a space in the head so um if you're religious lean on your traditions your yeah. religious traditions if you're spiritual lean on those but if you if you're neither create your own yeah. That is, I, I could not agree with you more. I am, my faith looks a lot different. I was born, I was, I, I grew up in a very Christian home and I'm still, I would say, uh, I'm hanging on by the hair of my chinny chin chin, but I, I am Christian still. But one of the main reasons, and I'm talking like 90% is because of the traditions that are part of, you know, what I do when I go to mass on Sunday and it's the little things like, you know, the, the font of water when you walk in and you put, dip your finger in and you cross yourself and uh, all the different things, the lighting of candles, the incense, the, the chants, all those things, they, 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 they shift something in my mind and in my heart when I say it, when I slightly bow, all those things. And then I take those things. And I, I, I still cross myself when, you know, when, you know, before, before a meal, just different things like that, that it, again, it just like shifts a little bit. Right. So I could not agree more when I don't have those rituals and those different things, those physical things that my fingers and my mind and my heart are doing, it's a lot harder to have rituals. That's why we have these different things. That's why we have crucifixes or the menorah or these different things, because we need a physical representation of what we're doing. Um, to remind us, I've got this like piece of artwork back here with the dust to dust, right? And it's, you know, when, whenever I cross my forehead, it's a reminder of like the brevity of life and that it could be over in five seconds or I have 60 more years. Who the fuck knows? I need to take advantage of what's going on. And so I'm always advocating for the same thing you just said. And it's a lot harder here in New York City. I have yet to find, I have three kids. We're in an 800 square foot apartment. Jesus, It's hard to find those places. And maybe it's, here in my little office and, you know, in Midtown, like maybe that's where I set it up and set up a little space in the corner. I don't know, but it's so true that to have, and, and I, you're very lucky to have, like you said, it's, it's inevitable that you're going to find those things because you just walk out into it and also find those sacred spaces um, to have. Adrian, thank you so much 
for giving a damn. Thank you for tackling these humongous issues. Thank you for leading us, this broader community of humans, leading the way, showing us how it's done. I'm so excited to you know, continue following your work. Uh, you've been tremendously helpful uh, during this conversation. And I hope at some point we can do it again because there's a lot more to dive into, honestly. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Hey friends, that's it for today. Thank you so much for showing up, for spending some time with Adrian and me today. Visit ducontra.ventures and lonelywhale.org to learn more about what Adrian is up to. And be sure to follow Adrian on Twitter and Instagram at Adrian Grenier. And of course, to keep up with all things Let's Give a Damn, visit letsgiveadam.com. A sincere thanks to each and every one of you for being here today. I'm really, really grateful for you. Chad Snavely, Jess Collins, and the team at Sound On Studios made this episode. The music is by our friend Propaganda. You can reach out anytime and for any reason at hello at letsgiveadam.com. I love you all. Be safe. Keep giving a damn. Bye.